your sequel sucks. It sucks. Your sequel sucks. It just really sucks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Your Sequel Sucks. We are the podcast where each and every week we dive into Hollywood's shittiest sequels. I am one of your hosts, Luke Ladley, and I'm joined by the man, the myth, my Faja, Nick Evans. Nick, how you doing? Oh, brother, I am. <laughs> I, I'm sick as fuck, bro. I got the, Yeah, I got the flu. I feel oh. like shit. Oh, it's that's horrible. At least it's not the vid because you're vaccinated. At least it's not the vid. Yeah, I mean, now that things are getting back to normal, it just figures we're getting fucking normal illnesses again. Yeah. So that's fun. Oh, um, dude, I, I I haven't had the flu in years, but I just remember every time is a horrible time with it. It's. I mean, to make it worse, we have to keep watching these horrendous piles of dog shit. <laughs> so I'm sick, and all I want to do is uh, hang back and play the new near mobile game. Square Enix uh-huh. put out. Yeah, yeah. I heard about that. Dude, you're a real trooper. You are a real trooper to fucking be here with being all sick and, and watching what we watched. Yeah, I'm still going <laughs> to work. Don't tell my employer. But I'm still I'm still going to work. I'm masking it back up and people are looking at me weird. But <laughs> I don't it's know. It's not COVID. It's the original vid. The flu. Yes. It's the original one. <laughs> I mean, call oh, me classic. man. But, uh, <laughs> oh uh, man, how you been though? What's, what's going on in your world other than me being sick? Well, first of all, I, I just want you to be better because you thank are you. a big, strong man with a lovely beard and oh, I, I need you to be strong. But for me, it's going good. We had a very late rehearsal last night, getting ready for, um, the first show I've played in almost two years, year and a half. Um, you St. Wade Vincent's playing our first show in the Bronx Saturday. So we're getting that ready. Um, we found out we cracked the top pre-orders on the iTunes. Front yeah, page. you did. Yeah, so you did. That's oh, dude. That's always so fucking awesome. You know when that happens. So thank yep. you guys out there who's been pre-ordering. Um, let's see. Just been working a lot. Uh, I've been going back to the gym. Good. I I took like a two week break where I had only gone like I don't know maybe once in two weeks. So I went every day this week so far. Try to run at least a mile when I get there, and then do a mile on the bike. Um, but other than that, just. Back watching shitty movies. I mean, without further ado, Flumaster <laughs> 2000. Do you wanna? Do you wanna say what horrible movie we watched? Yeah, I do. Bruce Willis, hold on to your wicker fedora. We watched <laughs> <laughs> the whole ten yards. Did you have a good relationship with your father, Austin? Me? We were like pals. Like to kill my father. Like to take an ice pick and stick it right in his eyeball. Do you wanna throw up? <laughs> Can you help me? Can you tell me? I mean, what the what the hell is going on here? Why are we all in this big spinning ball that we call Earth, huh? Why? Why? You ever hear this thing called avoidance behavior, Oz? I mean, I don't want to talk about that. Yes, right? yes, let's talk about avoidance behavior. You mean like sitting here in a bar drinking shots instead of saving Cynthia? Cynthia's gonna be just fine, Oz. What do you mean Cynthia's fine? I'll tell you one thing. I am not gonna go out there and risk my ass for my wife. My wife! Whatever! I'm not risking my ass before I get a few things off my chest, okay? Fine. Sam, what do you want to say? You know I was a bedwetter? You don't do that anymore, do you? When I was 12, I saw my father naked in the shower. That's probably why you went to bed. Very Freudian. Youngian. Do 
And we had some great times too. You and your father? No, me and Cynthia. Oh. He wears a wicker fedora. Oh, <laughs> it's it's like a piece of lawn furniture on his head. It just doesn't work out. I mean, Man. what a <sighs> shit movie we watched. God. This was not the reunion that Matthew Perry was looking for. No. I just got to say it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's bad when like Amanda Pete is the only one actually trying in this fucking cast. <laughs> and it don't help. Oh my. Yeah, this was, it's funny. I remember seeing this movie when it first came out and I remember then going, oh, this, this don't feel right. Like even, even then be like, this, I, this is not sticking the landing. Um, I guess. Nick, what's your relationship to the whole nine <laughs> yards, ten yards anthology? Oh man, I'm well. I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't like the whole nine yards. <laughs> I'm not a. I wouldn't say I'm a diehard fan. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> I so this is gonna be weird, but you know, I mean, you already know this. So I'm a big fan of MCD. Michael oh, Clark yeah. Duncan, rest in oh, peace. Yeah. You fucking handsome pile of muscles. Um. <laughs> I watched the movie because he was in it. (laughs) That's a good reason. That's a good reason. I didn't like it, but like I watched it and uh, fuck, I guess I'm going to put this here. I've never thought that Bruce Willis was like a great actor. Um, That's because he's not. Okay, good. (laughs) Because I I think he has, he has really good roles, but they're like tailored for him, like Die Hard and Pulp Fiction. Um, He's very one dimensional. And I think that's why these movies to me, just kind of suck. <laughs> yeah, it's it's trying to put a square peg into a round hole, forcing yes. him to be uh, a comedy role. I mean, for me, we grew up as big me and my family as big fans of the show Friends. So when this came out, it was the only Matthew Perry movie I liked because he had did a movie with Salma Hayek. Um, a couple years prior called uh, Fools Rush In. And I remember not really caring oh for Oh my that. God, yes. Yeah, man. And I remember not really caring for that. But I remember when this movie came out, this was a blockbuster night movie. We grabbed popcorn. We all sat and watched it. And it was enjoyable. I remember it was enjoyable. It was okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry about that if that came through. That's that's virus notifications, just so I don't get viruses on my computer. Um, But I remember <laughs> we, <laughs> we watched it and it was okay. But it felt like a one and done. You know, it was not a movie where you'd be like, did you see the whole nine yards? You know, you're not going to work the next day fucking telling people to watch it. But it is what it is. Um, And let's break it down for you people. The whole nine yards, which is what we just mentioned, is a 2000 American crime comedy film whose story is about a mild-mannered dentist played by Matthew Perry. And he travels to Chicago to inform a mob boss about the whereabouts of his new neighbor, who's a former hitman with a price on his head, motherfuckers. And that's the whole crux of the first movie. And it's got big names, guys. It's got Bruce Willis. It's got Matthew Perry. It's got Amanda Pete. It's got Natasha Henstridge. It's got our boy MCD, like Nick MCD. said. MCD. Pile of muscles. Now he's a pile of bones in the ground. But back then, <laughs> he was he was a big pile of muscles. I would say it's a big pile of bones. <laughs> <laughs> it is a large pile of bones. But... It's directed by Jonathan Lynn, and he has fucking clout, bro. He did My Cousin Vinny, which was, did you know, I didn't know this in today, until today, did you know that Marissa Tomei won an Academy Award for her role in My Cousin Vinny? No. Nick, somebody mentioned it at work, and I was like, no, and then I looked it up, and I, she fucking didn't. I just think it was, that sweet little dear. Like, I just keep thinking that character, and as she talks. 
Are they just handing those awards out? In 93, they did. <laughs> in 90, yeah, she won that. And what Jonathan Lynn had also done was the movie Clue from the 80s, which was a big movie. Yes. And they get a guy to write the original film called Mitchell Kapner. Now, Mitchell Kapner, Nick, does not have a lot of work before this movie. And what's funny is in the same year that The Whole Nine Yards comes out, he also wrote the movie Romeo Must Die with Jet Li and Aaliyah. So that's a really odd combination of different wow. movies to write in the same year. But <laughs> that's a big year for him. But sadly for Kapner, he doesn't really go on to do much after this. Um, this movie drops February 18th, 2000. And it has a relatively high budget, guys. The, the budget was $41 million. Keep in mind, it's comedy. Okay? $41 million budget. It earns $106 million worldwide. That's oh, man. Huge, huge amounts of money. And you have to imagine, and Nick, I'm sure you're going to agree with this, a lot of the success of this movie is mainly because this movie is dropped at the fucking height of the popularity of Matthew Perry and Friends. And yes. the show is killing it. And not to mention the fact that Bruce Willis is fresh off of just fucking slaughtering the box office with the horror masterpiece, The Sixth Sense, which was released literally less than 12 months prior to this. So this movie goes on to perform way better than anyone could have ever expected, way better than the studio had imagined. Uh, people yeah. seem to enjoy it as a, a decent, passable comedy, and it does well. Yeah, and here's the thing about the studio, if I may. I do have oh, one may. thing. So um, first off, good job mentioning friends because i didn't know that they literally filmed that during the season six like break from yes. friends so you're right height of friends like they were on their like mandatory break for all like the long filming they had to do for that show mm -hmm. and i just thought that was hilarious but so franchise pictures i didn't realize was they were the company who handled both of the movies we're talking about today oh, i'm gonna get into them <laughs> oh good because okay you know what i'm gonna wait because i got some shit on them too <laughs> oh boy how how the other half of this movie <laughs> there's two sides to this story right yeah so guys, we have this massive awesome movie by all rights you should have said wow we actually got bruce willis to be in a comedy and it kind of worked we made some money everyone's doing good let's leave it alone but it would not be on this show, people, if Hollywood <laughs> didn't get a little Holly weird. And yeah. we, we say, okay, first one's massive moneymaker. Fuck it. We're going to get a, a part two popping. And that's what they do. Warner Brothers goes to work. Franchise Pictures goes to work. They surprisingly get everyone back. They get Bruce Willis back, Amanda Peet back, Natasha Hendricks back, Matthew Perry back. The only people they don't get back is the writer and the director. Now, this movie has a new director, okay? The director is Howard Deutsch. We could call him douche. I don't know. It depends on how free we're going to get with the name. I mean, he's he has a little bit of esteem, sort of. Yeah, Not he this does. time. I but. mean, he directed the fucking famous fucking uh, 80s movie, Pretty in Yes. Pink, okay? Yep. He did the movie The Great Outdoors. And we get the new writer on, George Gallo. And George Gallo was really... Um, only known for writing the movie Midnight Crew, uh, Midnight Run up to this point. And with the approach of this new movie, they give the actors a lot more freedom. Um, I think that the actors had too much freedom yes. when it comes to this, and there's too much free reign. 
And I personally want to go on record, in my opinion, and say, I think this is an issue where egos took over. And it took over too much because I know for a fact by hearing Kevin Smith interviews working with Bruce Willis that Bruce Willis is an absolute fucking cocksucker on set. I'm sorry if we have any Willis fans out there, but he is. He tells directors what he's going to do. He tells them his lines, how he thinks the movie should go, because he thinks he's good because he starred in like Die Hard. Honestly, (laughs) like we just said at the top of the show, he's a shit actor. Like (laughs) He's had good action movies behind him, but he's not strong enough to do a role. And we're going to get a little bit into that to like sail like a movie like this. So they give him a lot of rain and they basically are controlling the flow of this movie, which kind of sucks because Howard Deutsch really could have probably set up a better directing uh, scheme for this to make the movie a little more coherent. But originally Matthew Perry had the idea of having his character and Willis's character undergo like um, a role reversal for the sequel where Willis would be all soft and gentle and Matthew Perry would be the macho tough guy, a kind of like a flip contrast from the first one. But somehow that didn't seem to work well because Perry said in an interview, quote, it just wasn't that funny. One of the great things about the first movie was that I was scared of everything. So in the opening table read, we had the idea of making me kind of this Clint Eastwood guy in the beginning and Willis being this Martha Stewart kind of person, but we had to drop half of that out. End quote. Um, then they both both go on record. I've read interviews with them from both of this film, Nick, when they did their press run that they basically, a lot of the movies improv. I, I mean, I, I'd sad to say, I, oh. you believe it now. Yeah. Watching the movie, but a lot of this movie is improv. And they said that a lot of the movie was just them trying to make each other crack up. And to me, that is just a complete full explanation of lack of story and direction because you're just basically going on there fucking around and joking. And, and sometimes... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say there is nobody I want to crack me up less than fucking Bruce Willis. <laughs> Talk about like the the unfunniest actor you could possibly find. It's fucking Bruce Willis. We'll get into the scenes, bro. But like the first opening 15 minutes, he's dressed as like a maid. Oh, like, <laughs> sometimes the wavelength runs one way. That is my first set of notes, too. I even oh, man. It. It's so we're gonna get there folks we we are gonna dive in but we have a weird dynamic for this while the first one had a kind of a more um fluid idea of a story and plot and let's say structure this one throws it out the window they think hey we got big fucking names on the poster we could do whatever we want people are gonna see it so the whole 10 yards not very clever of a naming was originally scheduled for an October 17th, 2003 release, but was sent back for reshoots. And it was actually delayed until the ultimate release of April 9th, 2004. Nikki, when this movie ultimately drops, it, I mean, it's met with the reviews that we're about to give it. Like it is yeah. met with awful, awful reviews. And the movie starts immediately tracking to open in the low to mid teens. Now the movie opens over Easter weekend. Okay, but it is one of many flops on Easter 2004 because not only is that a flop, but you have the Alamo, the girl next door, Ella Enchanted, and Johnson Family Vacation. Wow, as well. And the whole 10 yards was a limp dick opener, too, Nick, because it only opened opening weekend with 6.6 million dollars and it opened number eight and it opened number eight behind 
being beaten and bloodied, okay, by the Jesus Christ superstar movie himself, Mel Gibson's <laughs> Jew Bash, The Passion of the Christ. Wow. It, it, all of those movies, it opened at number that it was its second week of opening, The Passion opened at number one and crushed all these movies. You got to think Easter, Jesus Resurrection. It makes sense. Whoever was doing the marketing, if you knew that Mel Gibson was going to be dropping this movie and you're deciding to go against it over Easter weekend, it's not a good idea. Okay. Um, going past that, the whole 10 yards dives and it dives fast in the box office. I'm talking crash and burn status, Nick. It declines 46% its second week and only makes $3.5 million. And in its third week, it goes down 59% and only brings in $1.4 million. Now, th- this is the U.S., but it is performing horribly worldwide because Warner Brothers distributed this movie in the U.K. And it dropped the movie in only 58 theaters, and it only made... Dude, it only made $240,000 in the UK. <laughs> they dropped it in France in 50 theaters. It only made 217000 And oddly enough, communist Russian bastards posted the highest overseas numbers, Nick. They got $1.4 million, And I believe it's probably because Putin just played it in all his mansions. It had to be something weird. Why would... Oh, why they, were, I, they were probably using it for fucking torture. Like, <laughs> <laughs> at this point... Absolutely. And when we count all overseas territories and all the countries abroad, outside of the U.S., this movie only makes $9.8 million. So if we are going to sum it up, this movie had, and you know what I'm getting at, reported $40 million budget. The film <laughs> is quickly flopped out of theaters, guys. And it only makes, on a $40 million budget, 16 Point three million worldwide. Now, here is a fucking fun fact that's sad, and I don't, I haven't come across this in any other movie we've researched. But eight point nine million had to be returned to the theaters to take their percentage of that gross. I don't know what they fucking did with marketing, but Nick, you never hear of the theaters taking back that much. Now, I don't know if it was because of marketing that they paid theaters to do or what it was, but it loses a lot. So this movie falls deep into the red and deep that's mad deep and this is worth noting this at the time in 2004 was and this is just gonna fucking keep arching into that bruce willis sucks fucking thing we're doing (laughs) this is the fourth bruce willis flop in a row in 2001 he dropped the movie bandits flop 2002 he drops hearts war flop 2003 he drops tears of the sun Oh, fuck. Tears of the sun. Tears of the sun, right? But then listen. Then he does this movie, 2004. Okay? Whole 10 yards. Flop. But it doesn't stop there because 2005, he does Hostage. Flop. 2006, 16 blocks. Flop. 2007, Perfect Stranger. Flop. He does not have another successful movie until 2007 with Live Free or Die Hard, another Die Hard movie. So and that's not a very good movie. I want to just not to sh- keep shitting on Bruce Willis, even though I don't really like him. Uh, Live free or die hard is not fantastic. Like, let's just say it, it made money. I'm sure, but like made money off the name. It yes, made money, and and this movie does not bode well for Matthew Perry going forward because Nick, this is the last studio movie 
to have Matthew Perry as one of the top build name on the poster actors as a main lead. Um, and that is because two years prior, he did the movie, the movie Serving Sarah, which fucking bombed as well. This movie was fucking just a tragic, epic fucking flop all around, guys. But Nikki, in the words of Matthew Lillard, but wait, there's more. Oh, good. I was going to say, because I know you got more. I got more because, man. <laughs> guys, let's just say, while this whole shit storm is brewing on this movie, we have a whole other a whole other world of problems in shitstorm brewing on the legal side. Brother, it gets wild. How about you take it away? Because I know you got the deets for these people. Okay, so before we get into some legal shit, I'm going to drop two things that I think everyone needs to know. First off, I got to bring up Roger Ebert because we, that's our <laughs> thing. So oddly enough, Roger Ebert, who we know for giving Titanic three out of four stars and Basic Instinct two out of four stars oh and calling God. it boring, he gave the whole nine yards a perfect score. What? A perfect score. He called, uh, he called Amanda Pete's performance perfect in every way. Oh my God. What was wrong with him towards the end there? <laughs> I don't know, man, because in uh, for this movie, he refused to actually give it a rating. Wow. Which he had some clout. Yup. Wow. And then I want to uh, I want to put a little something on franchise pictures other than legal things. Um, everybody needs to know that they are known for flops. They are actually known mm -hmm. for losing money. So they they did Boondock Saints. If everybody remembers at home that we did cover that, keep in mind Boondock Saints did not hit big until the rental circuit, just like Highlander. Yes. So Franchise Pictures has ten films that are all under a ten percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh Five of those are a zero. <laughs> Five are a zero. They're, and like I said, they're notorious for losing money in their entire, and Luke, this got me, this got me, in their entire filmography, they only have two films that have ever actually made more than their budget. Two. Oh it's The Whole Nine Yards and Half Past Dead starring Ja Rule and Steven Seagal. <laughs> Bro, oh my God, that made money? <laughs> all the rest of their movies came in severely under budget most of them losing like 15 to 20 million a piece oh a piece and you know what's crazy they're still in business sort of oh, sort of yes. sort of it's very loose they, they kind of had a little bit of a buyout but but they're still listed on things if you want to go into the next part okay so here's the thing <laughs> the whole 10 yards was done by this movie and up to this point okay Franchise Pictures' only success was, like Nick said, the whole nine yards. So the and whole half past dead starring John Rule. <laughs> Let me rephrase this. The whole nine yards was their most successful. Half past dead still comes in. Mona wearing motherfucker Seagal still had some, some money to be made. So they financed this movie for an alleged $40 million. And the reason I say alleged is Franchise Pictures... All right, is now notoriously known for what they would do is they would artificially inflate their budgets so that their co-financiers would end up shouldering most of the production costs. Sneaky, sneaky. And they also worked with the film uh, the German-based company MHF 
Zwaity Academy film. I think Zwaity, Zwaity. I, I called it Zwaity too. Zwaity. I, I don't know. <laughs> they both did this movie. Now, as per Franchise Pictures distribution pack with Warner Brothers, they Warner Brothers would take care of the U.S. and the select territories where they put it overseas. Remember, they went U.K., France, Russia. A week, seven human days after this film bombed, Franchise Pictures is in court. They went to trial because they were being sued by another German company called Entertainment. Not Entertainment, but Entertainment for fraud on the inflated budget scandal. Yo, they got caught, motherfuckers. They yeah. knew. They got caught. Now, what happens is Franchise is found guilty for defrauding entertainment, and they are ordered to pay a mammoth $77 million. Guys, Nick told us how they perform in the box office. We know they ain't got that fucking money, okay? This quickly leads to Franchise Pictures not only immediately calling the bankruptcy, but closing. They're yes. done, dead. But guys, the problems don't stop there because in 2012, eight years later, MHF, Zweedy Academy Film, sues Warner Brothers because all this time after the movie, they are continuing to collect on revenue from The Whole Ten Yards, Ballistics X vs. Sever, a movie called The In-Laws. And after Warner Brothers lost the rights to the film from Franchise Pictures when they collapsed, they weren't supposed to be doing that. You can't be collecting on these fucking things. You didn't have the right. You should be giving it back to MHF. So Warner Brothers, is they settle, right? They settle for $430,000, which is kind of nothing, right, Nick? If you're Warner yes, Brothers. That's not a lot. It's nothing, guys. Warner Brothers, do we have to mention the pictures? I mean, we're talking fucking the Harry Potter anthology. Boom. That's the only example I have to give for you to know. that. I mean, nonstop movies. They, this, is, this is fucking peanut money here, right? So they are settled to pay that. And they're told, you are going to fucking collect the revenue for this company and report all the accounting data of these films so there's a record for some reason piece of shit warner brothers doesn't they only go on to not pay this company not report the data and they get sued again in 2015 nick this movie has some highly illegal shit going on behind the scenes and it's just so funny that you would never think that this movie is just such a perfect candidate for your sequel sucks on both fucking sides of the coin. It is. Oh my God. Staggering. <laughs> yes. Especially. So bro. So I guess franchise pictures right before bankruptcy tried to become a video game company called <laughs> franchise interactive. They never put anything out. They never actually released anything. So it's, it's a baffling like system about why did you end up doing this on top of that? Um, with the lawsuits that had you know come out against them, other um, distributors, other big distribution companies tried to come after them for any of their profits made on films. And guess what? They didn't make any profits, so they didn't actually have to pay anything in restitution. <laughs> they were sued. Uh, I'm trying to think. They were sued for – I have the list here. Um, I think one of the movies was called um... – There was The Big Kahuna. Yeah, there was a, another rom-com. I forgot what it was. It wasn't the in-laws. It was called like, 
Oh, I can't uh, remember, but it was another one they were fucking sued for. What? Dude, if you're Warner Brothers and you have this Was money, it the pledge? I think the pledge. Oh, Get Carter. Get Carter was the one they were sued for in 2000. Oh, I didn't know that. Damn. Yeah, they were sued. It was six years after because um, Get Carter came out in 2000. And that was one of the ones they got off because that movie had a budget of, of uh, reportedly 63 million, but it only made 19. So it technically <laughs> on paper was a loss. So they did not have to actually pay anything back. Wow. And uh, yeah. And franchise pictures, apparently they got, you know, like you said, they went bankrupt and they had to stop working. They got like bought out. Half of their company is owned by some like little LLC called orange holdings. And the other half is revolution studios and they only own them. So they have the library of films in case they ever want to remake them, which Smart. I thought was interesting. And I'm and assuming they got it. for dirt cheap. I'm assuming that was like a fucking, robocop five hundred thousand dollar license purchase like i'm assuming at that point it's fucking cheap but dude that it's so funny because there there wasn't like a crazy amount that i found production wise it was like you know bang bang let's get a sequel together we're gonna make quick money and then when you dive in and you find out all the legal shit you're like oh my god this movie was fucked um well we're getting we're gonna get in the scenes now and i just want to say that I watched this movie when I got home from work um, the afternoon that I found out that Joey Jordanson died. And this yeah. movie was still the worst part of my afternoon. <laughs> I, I mean, after, after – wow. I mean, I'm going to start, Nick, if you don't mind. I'm going to kind of like piggyback right off because you I just think go could, in. I feel like we could both mention it. That whole opening scene where Jimmy is supposedly in quote-unquote disguise is just – about I, I looked at it, I think it was nine and a half, ten minutes when I when I press pause. Just beating a dead horse into the ground of the same joke. And the joke is, I'm a house husband. I get it. They keep making lame cleaning jokes, cooking jokes, Martha Stewart references. Uh he's got a pot roast in the oven. It's not funny. If this was something that you guys did that day, improv and thought was good. You should have looked back on it and been like, okay, now let's really film a scene. It's just so fucking repetitive, Nick. It, it's so bad. On top of that, he's wearing like, like not just a maid's outfit, but like full blown like women's clothing, yeah. like like floral patterns and like a little denim jacket. He's <laughs> he's wearing. It's clearly a wig. It's fucking yeah. clearly a long blonde wig with like this. Uh, I don't know, like this Axl Rose, Brett Michaels bandana. And, <laughs> and like you said, he has a pot roast in the oven. He's using two oven mitts. He's cleaning the house with a feather duster. And he's going on about his decorations that he's putting up. Like it's it, 15 minutes yeah. of it is happening. And they expect us to like, think it's funny when eventually you find out that he still has like hidden bunkers in the house and guns and <laughs> shit. Like it's not funny. It is, Guys, it is so bland. <laughs> it is long enough where me and Nick both stopped and had to look at the timer and go, okay, how long? I get it. Martha Stewart. Ha ha. You know, like that's how <laughs> it's just so it's torturing. It is fucking torturing. And I think one of the things is they introduce the Laszlo character again. And yeah. that's played by Kevin Pollack, who's kindly, uh, I got to say, like, he was actually somewhat funny in this movie. Um, because like the way he pronounced words were stupid, but he is like a B level actor. If you guys know Kevin Pollock, uh, fucking Google him. He doesn't really do much ever in the terms of 
main leading, but somehow no. when you have the two biggest Hollywood stars on at the moment on the planet of Matthew Perry and Bruce Willis, fucking Kevin Pollock as Laszlo outshines them. But one of the things was that I just, it's another thing where beating a dead horse is he has his son, who's also one of his mafia henchmen called Stroba. <laughs> Stroba. Oh my fucking God. Yes. The same joke where Laszlo, the, one of the ongoing things is you can't really understand what Laszlo says, guys. He has a weird dialect and a weird accent. And Stroba keeps trying to correct him for things he's saying. And he keeps like saying, come here, come here. And then he hits him in the face. After 20 minutes, I'm tired of that trope. Yes. I'm tired of the, oh, you correct me now, I smack you in the face. It's it's old, man. It's old. <laughs> it's it's very, um the whole time, because again, like you said, that happens over and over. And it reminds me of like the old, like Three Stooges style yeah. humor. Like that's what this movie is. It's one part of Bruce Willis trying to be funny in multiple scenes, even after he, he uh, put back on the wicker fedora. <laughs> and the fucking and the Tommy Bahama shirt. <laughs> um, that's how you know the movie's bad is when he puts the wicker fedora and Tommy Bahama shirt. You're like, oh, all right, cool. He's back to normal. And bro, I was <laughs> gonna say that was him putting on the outfit when uh when his wife and I, I fucking forget her name when she goes and tries to get him to like get back into action and like be a a killer again and shit. Oh yeah, man, the pizza. That's what he puts on. Yeah, that's yeah. what he puts on. Jill, right? That's Jill. Yeah, I think it was Jill. Yeah. And she's like shaving, shaving his fake hair and shit. (laughs) But like, that's what he puts on to get serious. And then, like you said, um, the villains in this are there. It's very slapstick. Yeah. Um, It, you kind of nailed it. It's very three stooges, Laurel and Hardy type of old school. I hit you in the face, you know, type of, I, you should laugh at that, but guys, it's uh 2004. And I think too, you could tell Nick, like I can, looking back that it was definitely improv on a lot of lines because they say things that I think they were going for a joke, but it was so off the cuff that you look back and you're like, wait, what did he say? Like the one line when Oz says that he's coming back to Jimmy's hideout. All right. Oz is Matthew Perry's character. Yes. Dr. Oz. (laughs) That's his name. It's Dr. Oz. It's literally Dr. Oz. I I couldn't get over it the whole fucking time. And I kept calling him Chandler. (laughs) Mr. Bing. But he's coming. He says he's going to be going back to Jimmy's hideout. He needs to see him. And Jimmy goes, Oz, if you come within a mile of this house, I'll back a car over your head 75 times. What does that line mean? Like, is that supposed to be funny? I'll back a car over your head 75 times. Dude, I laughed out loud, but not in a good way. Like, I'm like, these are just ridiculous lines you're saying that have no fucking meaning. Like, bro, speaking of laughing out loud, so this is my improv scene I gotta fucking bring up. Um, It's when they're in the bar, uh, Dr. Uh Oz, Dr. Oz and Bruce Uh, Willis. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. So no one gives a great performance. And Chandler and Bruce Willis don't have a good chemistry, but when... Chandler's trying to be drunk and all he keeps doing is like pretending to throw up and burp and, and Bruce Willis, like he has long random ass tangents about nothing. So, you know, it's improv because he talks, he randomly goes on about like his bad relationship with his father and the meaning of the life on the planet and everything. Then about how he used to wet the bed as a kid and he saw his father's penis yeah. And then he starts talking about fucking his ex-wife, who is Chandler's current wife. Yeah. I, by the way, I, I just want to say something because you brought up the chemistry. 
one of the interviews I read during research was Bruce Willis saying that the, one of the, his most proudest things about this movie was him and Matthew Perry's chemistry. He said, I feel like we know what each other wants and what we need to say. And Matthew Perry chimes in in the interview and goes, I'm a very straight heterosexual male, but our chemistry is, is something really serious. <laughs> bro like you talk about chemistry the whole movie is them shouting at each other that's really it and when we go to that bar scene you are right they are just saying things to say things where it's tangents guys there's this in that scene they drink a shitload of shots and what they do is they build almost like a jenga pyramid yeah of empty shot glasses and at one point bruce willis looks at it and he's doing the fake drawing he's like what is that i don't like it i want it out of here and then proceeds to lower his head like a bull, screams like Bobby <laughs> Boucher from The Water Boy, and then charges into the table like a ram and destroys all of the glasses. This is the type of nonsensical bullshit you will see for an hour and 38 minutes when you watch the whole 10 yards. Yes. Oh my God. And there are so many, like, there are so many scenes where, like, Matthew Perry is literally just being Chandler. Like, yeah. I literally had it down where he's getting shot out and he's like, hey, watch where you're aiming that thing. Like, he's lines <laughs> he, like that. Like, <laughs> he, he gets, he gets, uh, oh my God, when he gets stuck in the fucking, the, I call it like the wood bunker. I don't know what it's supposed to be. <laughs> um, and he's like, I want to speak to whoever designed this thing. Like, <laughs> I just I, got, I I couldn't get over. I'm like, why am I watching this? Why does this movie exist? Nick, <laughs> I have to I have to go back on another interview. Oh, another good. Interview oh man! Perry said one of his quotes was, "I really like this movie because I could finally play a different character than Chandler and show that I could do something different." He was just Chandler. He is just Chandler in this movie. <laughs> the only movie, the only movie I can safely say that Matthew Perry does something different than Chandler is uh, Seventeen again because he's not yes. in it. Yes, <laughs> he's he's the adult before he becomes Zac Efron. That folks is his most diverse performance. Is <laughs> Seventeen again with Zac Efron? Oh fuck! You're 100 percent right. This movie is. Like, if you took Chandler Bing directly out of Friends, Bruce Willis just stayed just as unfunny and shitty as you are, and let's do an hour and a half of just fucking chewed up and spit out content that should have been done with the first movie. Yes, that's um, exactly it. And I actually, um, it was funny is compared to other movies we've been doing lately, this one, I actually had a shit ton of scenes. And then I was like, no, there's like, I got to find the root to this because it seemed like every scene you could do something on every fucking scene you could have. So I went down to the root of it and I'm like, oh, it's because they're both just fucking shitty at their jobs. Yeah. Like, oh man. But everybody I actually recommend watching this one because no. it's, it's fucking so bad. It is it's, like, it's really bad. Now, now folks, you're going to have to pay for it. That is, that's a sad yes. thing. It, it is a three ninety nine purchase, but if you, you pay three ninety nine. Yeah, I paid three ninety nine. Would you pay two seventy? What, what a I weird used, number! Uh, that is weird. I, I used uh, YouTube. What did you use? Amazon Prime, and I watched the SD, not the HD, and it was oh, two seventy. That's right. It, but nothing. You don't need clear definition to see how bad it is. Don't worry. No, no, no. I mean, I think what makes this movie so interesting is you are taking two actors. Mainly one with Matthew Perry <laughs> at the pinnacle of their career, 
at the height of heights in the most worst fucking movie that you can imagine. It's like, usually when you're like that, your agents are firing on all cylinders and Hollywood is giving roles that are going to make, they're going to basically try and make the most money they can because they're going to cash in on you and they know that you're going to sell their movie. It's just so weird to see these people at the height making something so bad that you think a first-time actor would do. Um, like Nick said, if we if we did scenes, we'd be here all fucking day. We are not going to do scenes. Um, 2004, the whole 10 yards, your sequel sucks. Yes, this it, was a fucking casserole, bro. It, it was a casserole. <laughs> it had a bunch of ingredients in it that should have worked, and it turned out fucking horrific. Yeah, you think that something would taste good um, amongst all this, but no, it's just all doo-doo. Um, but listen, uh, no good deed should go undone. Oh, um, God. <laughs> if you guys think that we're fucking lying to you, which after as many episodes we've been through, you know we only drop the truth here. This movie won the 2004 Stinker Award for Worst sequel that is right folks it took worst sequel that year so when we say this sequel sucks it is not us it is everybody who agrees um with that said guys uh you guys can always reach out with any questions comments and concerns your sequel sucks at gmail.com instagram at yss podcast twitter at your sequel sucks remember you can always leave us a five-star review and rate us on your favorite podcast platform I am one of your humble hosts, Luke Ladley. And I have to be humble to watch movies like this. Yes. You can reach me at Luke Ladley on Instagram and Twitter. And the fucking, the, the sicky boy who I know is going to fight through this and be that fucking hot hunk of dad stud by next episode, Nick <laughs> Evans, where can they reach you? You could find me getting over the flu and wearing wicker fedoras over <laughs> at Nick Evans writes on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. We'll be back with more episodes. Hopefully not more Bruce Willis, but unfortunately I will say he's popped up on a lot of the movies that I have a list of, but until next time, bye. Bye. Your sequel sucks. It sucks. Your sequel sucks. It just really sucks.